0: Well, hey, thank you all for being here tonight, and I just want you to know tonight's sermon's going to be on reaffirm, but before we go into the sermon, let me just tell you a couple of things. Number one, if you want to go to your tablet, your iPhone, uh, the Bible in front of you, or the Bible that you brought, go to Joshua chapter 24. We're going to take a look at Joshua chapter 24. Now I just want to give you a couple updates of some of the things that have been going on in and around Edgewood. Number one, last Sunday at three o'clock in the or three o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning, uh, we had about twelve high schoolers, college students go out to Colorado to go to Summit Ministries, and at Summit Ministries they'll be trained in apologetics and uh, they'll learn how to share their faith, and hopefully they'll be stirred in their faith and come back challenged uh, to share their faith and serve God. Uh, Tomorrow uh, afternoon, right about 2, 3 o'clock, we're going to have 14 junior hires go to Pine Lake, Pine Lake Camp uh, up in, toward Mason City, Iowa. And I have to tell you, we're pretty excited about that because they've just got a new staff. Uh, a church in North Minnesota, in Northern, excuse me, Minneapolis, bought the whole camp and they had a meeting with everybody. My wife went to the meeting. Man, they gave us a huge discount, 175 bucks per person. I mean, that was, you know, camp's like 325 And so they gave us a great discount. And so our kids are going there. And l- let me just say this. The, the pastor that wanted to buy it, both he and his wife grew up in Word of Life ministry camps. And they said, lives are changed in camp ministry. And so we're looking forward to that happening. The third thing I want you to know, and some of you have seen it on Facebook, Pastor Dan who is an integral part of our staff, is in University of Iowa Hospitals right now. Now, you know, many of you know that he had meningitis. And so, uh, also, when they were doing all this and they asked us not to say anything and they just came out and said it, there's also growth up here next to his pituitary gland. And they're going to do surgery on it, hopefully next week. And so we just ask that you'd pray for Beth, pray for Dan. Uh, Dan uh, does a fabulous... There's a lot of things that Dan does that nobody knows, but there are two things that he does so well here, and that's Celebrate Recovery and the missions program here. So, hey, let's go to the Lord and ask God to bless this evening, and let's just pray for Dan also, okay, and our teenagers. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the opportunity of being here tonight to worship you, But Father, right now we lift up our children to You as they're studying Your Word, as they go off to camp to study and have a wonderful time. We just pray that You'd work in their hearts and minds. That Father, if some don't know You, that they might come to know You. But then also we ask that You'd be with Pastor Dan. That, Father, you'd come alongside of both him and Beth and the family and that you'd minister grace to them. Give the doctors the wisdom and discernment to know exactly how to care for him. Father, we lift him up to you and ask you to minister as only you can. Touch his body. Thank you for the lives that he's had the ability to impact here at Edgewood. Father, thank you for him. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I hope I can keep everybody awake tonight. This last week, uh, I've spent a little bit of time with Pastor Tim because, you know, yesterday was his last day with us. And uh, I have to tell you that, you know, I went into his office today and saw that it was empty. And, you know, Tim's been an integral part of this church for over 40 years. You know, when I la- looked at, glanced in his office, uh, you know, I-, I felt some sadness. And uh, obviously, he'll be missed by all of us. And for the last 40 years, Tim and I have gone through some good times, and we've gone through some challenging times. You know, one of the last things that Tim and I did together was we took a group on a study tour to Israel. You know, it was a great way to capstone is 40 years of ministry here. And it was definitely a trip of a lifestyle. I mean, we were able to see, we were able to touch, we were able to experience so many different sites that we heard about in Scripture, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Uh, We all came away changed forever. Pastor Tim made this observation. He said this trip changed the way he read the Bible. He used this illustration, and I think it kind of sums it up perfectly. He said his view of Scripture before the trip was always in black and white. But walking through the Holy Land transformed his view into living color. And we still are processing the experience that we had. And in today's sermon, I'll mention a couple of places that we saw just a couple of weeks ago. Now, if you take your Bibles, you turn to Joshua t- chapter twenty-four. I'm gonna uh, before I do that, though, I just want you to know Joshua's a favorite character of a lot of people, a uh, mine also. Now he's an average guy, not a Moses. Uh, you know, in the Great Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter eleven, uh, Moses is mentioned, and but it's mentioned also about Jericho. Do you Remember Jericho? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, 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 Josh fought the battle of Jericho. You know that one. You learned it in Sunday school. Good for you. All right. That's great. Hey, listen, we had the opportunities to see Jericho, you know, but I'm thinking, you know, as we rode our bus in the winding roads through the dusty mountains leading to Jericho, I imagine Joshua leading the children of Israel through this dusty terrain. and Joshua, he's an average guy, but God used him in a phenomenal way. Now, there's a brief biography about him in Joshua 1 through 23. Now, after the death of Moses, God calls on Joshua to lead the Israelites across the Jordan River and take possession of the promised land. God guarantees victory in the military campaign and vows never to leave the Israelites so long as they obey his laws. Uh, the people swore their allegiance to Joshua. Now, here one of the things I just want to say, a, a side note, is this: when you go through the whole Bible, there's a theme that runs through it. Obey, remember to obey. Obey, remember to obey. Why? Why do you think that is? It's because we leak. We, you know, I, I go to my teenage son. I said, hey, did you take the teenage? Now, this was years ago, okay? So don't, don't give my kids any hardships. <laughs> hey, did you take the trash out? Uh, 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 I forgot. I for- you know, here's the thing. We all forget. We all forget. We get consumed with other things. And so here's what Joshua does. He sends out the two spies across the river to investigate the territory. Uh, The men enter Jericho where the prostitute named Rahab, she hides them in her house. She even lies to city officials regarding the spies' presence. Rahab tells the spies that the Canaanites are afraid of Israel because they've heard of their miraculous success. Now, professing belief in God of the Israelites, she says, This, Will you protect me and my family? Will you take care of us uh, when you come in here and destroy Jericho? And the spies pledged to preserve Rahab and return to Joshua, and, and they return to Joshua, telling him of the weakened condition of Israel's enemies. The Israelites cross the Jordan River. Uh, they're led by priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. As the priests enter the water, Uh, the flow of the river stops. The Israelites cross the river on dry ground. Uh, Arriving on the other side, the Israelites commemorate the miracle with the altar of 12 stones from the riverbed. Now approaching Jericho, Joshua encounters a mysterious man who explains that he's the commander of the Lord's armies, but that he's neither for nor against Israel. Joshua pays homage to the man and passes on. Now, following the divine instructions that were given him, Joshua leads the Israelites in carrying the ark around Jericho for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites march around the city seven times. Uh, Joshua rallies them to conquer the city and kills everyone except Rahab. And they are to refrain from taking any of the city's religious items. At the sound of the Israeli war cry, the walls of Jericho collapse and the Israelites destroy the city and its inhabitants. Joshua's fame spreads throughout the land, but the Israelites are humiliated in their attempt to take Ai. God attributes the disaster to the disobedience of Achan. Achan, you see, had stolen some religious items from Jericho. After the people stoned Achan, the renewed attempt against Ai is successful. And as Joshua masterminds an elaborate ambush against the city's forces, the Israelites celebrate by erecting an altar to God and publicly reaffirming their commitment to God's law. Now fearful of the marauding Israelites, the people of Gibeon... Uh, They visit the Israeli camp in disguise, claiming that, hey, look at we're travelers in the land, and we request peace with you. We want no harm. And Joshua doesn't inquire of God, and he makes a hasty treaty with these men, only to discover later that the Gibeonites are natives of the land to be conquered. And the Israelites refrain from attacking the city, but five other local kings attack Gibeon for making peace with Israel. And the Israelites come to Gibeon's aid and destroy the five armies. And Joshua asks God to make the sun stand still during the fighting. And God listens and stops the sun's movement. The Israelites continue to conquer the southern and northern cities of Canaan. While much of the promised land still remains to be conquered, the people of Israel begin to settle into the land and divide it amongst the twelve tribes. Now, As Joshua comes to the end of his life, he calls all the leaders of Israel to gather together for one final message. Knowing he's only one step from death, he sounds a call of renewal and reaffirming that begins with the recital of God's blessing in the past. Now, here's what it says in Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and surrounded and summoned the elders and the heads of the judge and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river." and led him through all the land of Canaan, and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and the Egyptian pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And then and when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did to Egypt and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. And then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zephor, and the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I blessed you out of his hand. And you went over to the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Peruzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and all the other ite boys. (laughs) And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, and two kings of the Amorites. And it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwelt in them, and you eat the fruit of the vineyards and the olive orchards, and you did not plant. And then he challenges the people to be faithful to God in the next following verses, 14 through 27. But in the middle of the message, in the middle, we see these stirring words that he's quoted, that have been quoted and memorized over 3,000 years. It says this, but it's for me and my house we will serve the Lord. Can you say that with me? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, These are important words. These are very important words. Joshua certainly understood the power of parents. On this Father's Day weekend, we're going to focus on fathers in particular. In God's plan for the family, both fathers and mothers are important. But today, dads, let's be challenged by Joshua's words to the nation of Israel. In these words, in these verses leading up to them, I believe we have four choices that we must and continue and to reaffirm if we want our families to serve the Lord with us. Choice number 1. We will be a family that remembers God's blessings. As Joshua recounts the story of the conquest of the promised land, he reminds them of what the Lord had done for them. Look again at verse 11 through 13. And you went over to Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites, the Peruzites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I know it gets tiring, doesn't it? I know, I know. But it's, it's in God's Word it's important. And I gave them into your hand and I sent the hornet before you which drove them out before you and the two kings and the Amorites. It's not by your sword. It's not by your bow. I gave you the land on which you had not labored and the cities that you had not built and you dwell in them and you eat through the vineyards and the olive orchards and you did not plant. Joshua wants the people not to forget that they owe everything to God. We owe everything to God. God gave them victory at Jericho. Uh, you know, as we drove through the hills leading to Jericho and saw the archaeological dig there um, where the walls had fallen, um, they defeated the Amorites, the Canaanites, and all thoseites. And Joshua wants to remind the people that it wasn't that they were so special or so amazing in their fighting skills but God gave them the victory and Joshua knew that the that once the people took credit for their victories they would soon turn away from God altogether. You know, let me ask you this question. Has God blessed you? Has God blessed you in any way shape or form? Life is not fair. Life is difficult. There are ups and downs, there are hiccups, and there are headaches. Uh, But you know, one of the things that we need to do, we ought to do as families just to what Joshua did. We need to make a record of all the good things that take place in our lives, and especially of God's faithfulness. We need to regularly affirm the good things that God has done for us. Isn't there this song that says, name them one by one? Isn't there some kind of song like that? You know, I mean, we ought to have a list of those things. You know, what if if we said to our children or grandchildren on a regular basis, hey, do you remember when so and so was sick? Uh, We prayed to God and they got better. Uh, Do you remember when dad lost his job and and so we prayed and God gave him a new job? Or do you remember when we prayed for that person to come to know Jesus and they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior? Ray Pritchard says, a good memory of God's blessing is a bulwark against backsliding. Do your children and grand- now here's another one. Do your grandchildren, do your children know your salvation story? Do they know how you accepted Jesus Christ and how you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior? We need to make sure that we share our testimonies with our family. Has God been faithful to provide for you in the past? Well, tell your children how he has provided. Has God blessed you? Write it down. Think often about it. Tell it to your children, your family. You know, I tell my kids my salvation story, and they're like, okay, we know it, we know it, we know it. Come on, come on. But hey, it's important. I want them to know it. I want them to remember it. Uh, there's another aspect here reaffirm and now here's the thing reaffirm that you will be a family that remembers God's blessings but the second one is this we will be a family that worships dads we need to reaffirm that our family will worship God in verse 14 it says now fear the Lord now to fear the Lord is not to cringe in terror or be terrified of God the biblical meaning here is much broader fearing the Lord means to have deep respect Reverence for God. And that what we're going to do is everything that we do pleases Him and all that we do. And we will honor God with our worship. And that includes coming to church. But it's more than that. It's a lifestyle that continues through the week. It's not that we just come to church on Sunday and then go back and live any way we want to. But it goes through the week. It's an atmosphere. It's not a program. And it's what we model in our homes and participate in the church and then life Monday through Saturday. Uh, When parents truly fear God, meaning deeply respect Him, their children will learn to deeply respect Him. And when they love God, it will be natural for children to love Him too. And when they sing spiritual songs and hymns, their children will learn those words. And when they pray, their children will pray with them. Dads, do you pray with your children? Do they see you reading your Bible? Men, we bear heavy responsibility in this area. Now, dads, husbands, um, grandfathers and great-grandfathers and uncles. I'm speaking to all the young men, the high school, college age, young men, older, single men. Men of every age, it starts with you. For too many years, we've dedicated spiritual leadership to women. Uh, we've laid the burden on women. God never intended them to bear all alone the responsibility for the spiritual health of the family. God meant spiritual leadership to be a shared burden. But the men must take the initiative if we truly want to bless God. A while back I saw a famous painting by Norman Rockwell that appeared on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post. Uh, In 1959, it shows a suburban family going off to church. The oldest sister is going forward. Her mother's right behind her, and little sis is right behind mom, and they're all dressed in their Sunday best to go to church. And then following them is a young boy who appears to be going with some reluctance. Following them, he's following them, but what's the problem? Well, at the center of the painting, dear old dad slumped in the chair. He's in his pajamas reading the paper, and Junior walks by. He casts this longing eye at his dad. Junior's going to church, but he'd rather be with his dad. If dad's not going, why am I going? Our actions speak louder than words, men. Lead your family in worshiping God. Lead them to church regularly. And then continue your worship throughout the week. It's just not bringing the church on the weekend, but it's living for Christ all week long. And and you know, here's what's really problematic. Did you know that once a month church going is the fastest growing segment of church attenders? Or maybe twice a month. What does that say to your family if you can only spare one or two Sundays a month to worship in church? Fear the Lord, respect Him every day. Reaffirm that your family will worship, worship together. Choice number three we will be a family that obeys and serves God. Joshua goes on and says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him in all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, worship beyond the Euphrates River and Egypt, and serve the Lord. Do you know that? Fourteen times in verses 14 through 22, he uses the word serve. That means that's important. That's obviously a burden on Joshua's heart. He wants people to be willing to serve and to obey the Lord. He specifies that it means when he adds in all faithfulness, every area of life must be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All faithfulness means there's no hidden rooms that we reserve for ourselves. It means putting aside all the false gods worshipped by the pagans. You know, Matthew Henry calls them dunghill deities because they have no power to save, only power to corrupt. Joshua goes on and says, And if It is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers serve the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Now Joshua had referred to these gods at the beginning of the chapter. And he lays out these choices. Hey, listen, you can either worship the gods of your father that serve beyond the river. Uh, Will you go back to those gods? Or the gods of the Amorites, those powerless gods didn't give any victory when you went to battle. Will you choose those gods? Or will you choose the true God? Will you follow the true God? These were the choices Joshua laid before the people. And do you notice that one of the choices is not serve no one? Remember Bob Dylan? Do you remember his song? You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Everyone has a choice. Uh, We can't force people to serve the Lord, but if we as fathers make the choice to turn our back on the idols and other gods, it's likely that our families will follow with us. Doesn't it amaze you how quickly the Bible narrative and the Israelites turn from one true God and worship another? Idols seem to turn their hearts so quickly. You know, one of the stops that we had on our Israeli, uh, Israel study tour was in Dan. It, it was in, the northern, in northern Israel. And it was there that King Jeroboam, studied, uh, king of a newly formed northern kingdom, provided a golden calf as an object of worship. Now, obviously, that golden calf wasn't there, but there was a framed-in area where that calf would have been. And after all that God had done for the nation of Israel, they went back to a form of idol worship that dated back to their ancestors while they were wandering in the wilderness. And as we observe the archaeological remains of this sad tale, we're reminded of Calvin's famous quote, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. What idols are you choosing instead of the one true living God? As we make Those things more important than God. We learn our family to value something else rather than God. Fathers, are we leading our families to choose the God of success, the God of material accumulation, the God of leisure, the God of sports, or the God of recreation? When all is said and done, our ultimate service and obedience is either to the world or to the Lord, to self or to God. You know, it's a good thing today on Father's Day weekend uh, that we take time and ask ourselves some honest questions. Who or what are you serving? What is it that occupies your greatest attention? And what causes you to become most animated and passionate in your conversation? For all of us, everyone here, The answer to those questions may be a point of direction of the gods that are calling for your allegiance. So hey, make a choice. Reaffirm that your family will obey and serve God alone. Choice number four. We will make a family that chooses daily to serve the Lord. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is one of the famous statements in the Old Testament and rightly so because it expresses the heart of of a great spiritual leader at the end of his life. In these simple words, we find the will of God expressed stated, And we are to serve the Lord, and we are to do everything in our power to see that our family follows our example. But we cannot choose for our children. Each of us must personally decide to serve the Lord. I can't choose for you, nor you choose for me. Uh, Parents cannot choose for their children, but parents have a special obligation to set the right example in that area. Uh, We can hardly expect our children to serve the Lord when we take our duties lightly. Fathers, we have the highest obligation in this area. Grandparents... Also, you have a huge role to play. Let me just encourage you. Do you realize that you can invest heavily into your grandchildren? Uh, You have more influence in them than you ever believed. Now, we have a great opportunity this fall for grandparents to learn more about influencing their grandchildren for Christ. We'll be hosting a simulcast with Legacy Grandparenting Conference on October 21st and 22nd you can register now for that event and you can call the office if you need more information but that's going to be on a friday and a saturday and and here are some of the thoughts about joshua's statement this is a public statement but as for me he means i don't care what the rest of you do i'm going to serve the lord that's his attitude do what you want whatever you do i'm still going to be your friend but i'm going to serve the lord The second thing is this is a personal decision. But as for me, in the end it comes down to this. You must choose to serve the Lord. It just won't happen by accident. It won't happen because you inherited something from your parents. Uh, You you can uh, give a heritage, but at some point they must make it their own. The third thing is this. It's a persuasive declaration. But as for me and my house, This may be the most amazing thing of all. Here Joshua speaks as God's appointed leader of his family. He claims the right to speak for his wife, his children, his grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And even for those that serve him. As the leader of this clan... I hold their proxy in my hand and I declare that my entire household will serve the true and living God. Every Christian man ought to make a similar statement about their family that God has given him. The fourth one, this is a positive statement. We will serve the Lord. This is more of a statement about forsaking other gods. This is more about, though, though it's implied, it means that Joshua's family will orient itself around worshiping the God of Israel. His law will be their law. His commandments will be their delight. And his worship will be their highest goal. And his glory, their ultimate aim. Joshua had taught his family well for many years. Joshua does not say, my house without me which would be like the famous Norman Rockwell painting. Uh, nor does he say, me without my house, which would be different kind of hypocrisy. Uh, both are joined together as God intended. I will serve the Lord and my family joins me in this pledge. How can a man be so certain about his family? Joshua could speak like this because he had taught them well for many, many years. And he knew of their own personal commitment to God. He worshiped. And he had the advantage of looking back on his life well-lived. Let no man read these words and think it may live carelessly and at the end of his life. God save his family to live that way than to pray desperately at the end is to presume on God's grace. But let me ask it this way. Can, you, can I guarantee that my children and grandchildren will follow in my steps the same as uh, the Lord I worship? The answer is no, because God has given each of us the ability to make our own choices. We all know of sad cases where godly parents produce offspring who do not serve Christ. Uh, What then does this text mean? Godly parents can tip the scales in the right direction. We cannot guarantee that our children will do, but we can provide an atmosphere of serving, loving, worshiping, and honoring and choosing Christ rather than to choose the world. Let me say it again. We can not guarantee what our children will do, but we can provide an atmosphere of serving, loving and worshiping God, plus a heartfelt joy that makes it easier to choose Christ than choosing the world. That's the challenge for us as dads. A commitment to serve the Lord is more than attending and joining a church, jumping through religious hoops or empty words. Choosing to serve the Lord means at least these five things. Number one, we must quit straddling the fence. We are masters at finding ways of holding idols of the world while we claim to follow Christ. God wants exclusive commitment. Two, we must be willing to root out everything that hinders our commitment. Joshua told the Israelites they must get rid of their idols. We must do the same. If we're going to truly become followers of Christ, we must be honest about our sin. Uh, We must refuse to make excuses and do real battle with our sinful tendencies. It means eliminating some things out of our lives that draw us away from Him, and that can be painful. It may mean weaning ourselves from sport uh, obsessions. It means maybe limiting our time on the Internet. Maybe changing our television viewing habits, staying away from bars, limiting our contact with people who bring out the worst in us, dealing with angry outbursts, getting rid of the charge card, getting rid of pornography, changing, changing and allowing God to work in our heart, changing our attitude and working hard at living for Christ. The third thing, uh, we must seek to influence the world rather than being influenced by it. Those who follow Christ must be willing to stand up for what's right, confront sinful behavior. We must resist worldly thinking. We are to bring the kingdom values into a pagan society, and we have to live a true, the true, true to the gospel. And even if doing so makes us unpopular, fourth, we must pursue our discipleship as a serious commitment. Joshua warned the people if they profess faith yet continue to play with the idols of the world, they would face God's judgment. Our Lord reserved some of the finest comments for hypocrites, fiercest comments for hypocrites and pretenders. In Matthew 23, Jesus pronounces, woe to those who made great boast about their allegiance to the Lord but did not follow through. And then five, finally we must be willing to make a lifetime commitment. The kind of discipleship God desires is one is total to Him. Jesus warns us, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Make no mistake, if you truly decide to follow Jesus, then there's no turning back. You know, all of us who are here today, we have a choice. Uh, But the most important choice that we can make is, are we going to allow... Jesus Christ, to be our personal Lord and Savior. God wants a relationship with each and every one of us. Do you know what the definition of a Christian is? A Christian is someone who has a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. All you have to do is admit to God that you're a sinner and ask Christ to come into your life. And if you really truly believe that, here's the thing. God will honor that prayer and then He won't leave you that way. He'll change your life forever. Forever. God wants a relationship with each and every one of us. And you can do that today. If you have never made that decision, you might do that today. And then we can say with Joshua, as for me, I will serve the Lord. For those of us with family that we are spiritually responsible for. Whether father, single mother, grandparent, we can say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Reaffirming are these choices. We will be a family that remembers God's blessings. We will be a family that worships. We will be a family that obeys and serves God. We will be a family that chooses daily to serve the Lord. Now, I don't know, is your mind made up? Are you ready to serve the Lord? Do you know where you stand with God? The application is clear. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. No one gets a free ride. One, no one can straddle the fence forever. There's no room for neutrality. Every person needs God, and every person must serve God. They choose. If you choose not to choose, you've already made your choice. You cannot choose the true God by default or inheritance. Make your choice. Cast your vote. Choose your God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God wants us to reaffirm our commitment. He wants us to remember all the good things that He's done for us. And He wants us to put our hands to the plow, and not look back. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come before You. We thank You for the opportunity of being here tonight. And Father, we thank You for the life of Joshua. We thank You for how that he wanted to serve You all the days of his life, and how that he came alongside his family and ministered to them and challenged them. And Father, those famous words is for me and my house we will serve the Lord. Father, for all of us who are here today, we pray that we would make that same kind of commitment. Father, help us to find ways to serve You. Help us to find ways to honor and glorify You. Uh, Father, there are some here that have family members that don't know Christ. And Father, I ask that those are sometimes the hardest people to witness to. But Father, give us windows of opportunity to share our faith, to come alongside others, to help them to know Christ. But Father, we thank You that You're there, that You care for us, You meet our needs, You guide us and direct us. Father, thank You for all that You do for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.